welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. We're going to be continuing our sermon series entitled Back to Life. And I love Communion Sunday because we get to see actually a lot of life uh, that you don't necessarily see on a regular Sunday morning because we have our kids and our youth in to celebrate communion with us. Man, it's noisy. There's a bunch going on. And then when they exit us, man, there's gaps everywhere. It just lets you know that we've got a ton going on in our next gen ministry. And man, we're excited about that. There's, there's new life right now happening in the young people in our church in our community, and they're going to be the ones who take it to the next generation, and they're going to outpace us, right? In faith, we believe that, and the kingdom of God is going to continue to make a difference in this world, so that's something to be excited about. But again, we're continuing our series called Back to Life. We've been in it for a few weeks, and what we're doing is we're looking at what are called resurrection narratives or stories of resurrection in the New Testament. As we're marching towards Easter, right, we're getting ready to celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus and all the hope that that uh, 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 offers each one of us. But prior to his death, there were several times in Jesus' ministry where somebody was dead and they were raised back to Life, not just in a transformational sense as of their hearts or their minds being dead or darkened and then coming to a place of understanding the truth or receiving salvation, but physically people who were dead who then were alive. And so we've been looking at those stories and how they can offer a picture of the hope that we have in Jesus. Each one of those stories is a foreshadowing in many cases of his own death and resurrection, but they also, they demonstrate a couple of things. They demonstrate his ability and his willingness to bring dead things to life. That is, Jesus went with his message, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that salvation is at hand, that the places of brokenness and hurt and kind of defeat in your life, that that can be uh, resurrected, that that can be redeemed, that it can be resuscitated, that it can be restored, that that was uh, in many ways demonstrated by these really radical stories of healing and resurrection. And they are indicators that your hope that my hope is not in vain. In any area of your life that has been touched by sin, uh, that has been touched by death, any area of your life that would kind of reek of despair and diminishment, Jesus offers hope. He offers hope to come and to speak new life into that place. And for, for each one of us, brokenness of this world has it's left its mark on us. And I don't think that you would need a lot of convincing from somebody from the front that that would be true of your life. Many of us, we've got scars on our bodies because of just life being harsh and unforgiving. Many of us bear those same marks or even deeper ones in our hearts and in our minds and in our spirits. Like we don't necessarily need to be convinced of that, but it's good to recognize that that is true. And then to see dramatic narratives like this where Jesus does the seemingly impossible We're reminded of the words of the angel in the first uh, chapter of, uh, I think it was Matthew, where he said, with God, nothing will be impossible. But life has, it's left its mark on each one of us. And I just want you to think for a moment of maybe what that looks like for you today. What's your situation right now? 
your immediate situation? What's the challenge? What's the difficulty? What's the place where there's kind of this shadow of death looming? Maybe a place where despair is not just at the doorstep, but has overtaken you. Where would that be and what would that look like? Um, right now in our kind of agricultural community, we're in a, a calving window. Uh, any of you guys who are involved in uh, ag or ranch, you guys would know that right now uh, is a pretty prominent window uh, where um, ranchers are uh, having their cow-calf operation going to birth, and there's calves everywhere. Even if you're not even aware of what's going on as you're taking your kids to school, you're like, look at the little, and they're hopping through the fields, and it's like, it's, it's giving us a hint of spring, although then the weather turns, and then it feels like, wah, wah, that's how I'm feeling right now. I'm going, oh, oh, that's how I'm feeling as far as those things. But one of the challenges of having a, a calving window in the spring is our weather turns so drastically. So we can go from an 80-degree day to freezing cold temperatures, and it's not uncommon for us to have very wet and windy blizzards that show up. And in that calving window, there's some particular challenges that are caused because of that, because of the difficulty of that season and just the harshness of that. And if you uh, know about that, then you would know that the vulnerability of calves in that window and um, the, the pressure on their vitality, it's, it's, it's really, really high. And it's not uncommon to lose calves during that time, but it's also not uncommon to have calves that survive that window that come out with physical marks because of it. And one of the biggest challenges that happens in kind of those sudden um, drops in the barometric pressure and the br blizzards that'll come in on the heels of that is there is a susceptibility to frostbite. And if you've ever seen a calf that had kind of tiny ears or a short tail, like anybody in the industry would be able to tell you, well, that, that calf was born during a blizzard. And they made it through, but they bear the marks of the harshness of that. And those are some things that you can kind of learn. And then there's some things like that that you can experience firsthand because uh, we have a few calves and they're just kind of some hobby stuff that we're doing. But my wife and I were looking to get out of town a few weeks ago when we had one of those sudden blizzards come in and arise. And we had a calf that was born during that window. And we weren't out of town very long before I got a text from my daughter. And here's what the text said. Uh, hey, Dad, I've got some bad news one of our calves' ears fell off. And then here's the question, because you're thinking, like, is she going to be traumatized? No, this was the practical question she offered. What do you want me to do with it? Do you want me to pick it up and save it? It's got the ear tag in it, or should I do something else? And I don't know what your response would be. I said pick it up and save it. And the reason why is because then I could show it to you and bring it to church and show you what it looks like when that happens. My daughter picked this up. She saved it for me. And you guys are all like, oh, I don't know if I want to be here anymore. Like, <laughs> what's happening here? And why, why would you do that, Pastor Ben? I had some close friends one time that described my personality as a perfect mixture between a grumpy old man and a middle schooler. And today the middle schooler is at show and tell. And that's why I have this some of you ladies are going to be like, mm, that's kind of weird. But how many of you have leather earrings? That's kind of a trending thing right now. It's literally just this in reverse. And so you should just settle that right now. When you get ready for work tomorrow, you're really going to be struggling with that mental concept. But I, I give you that picture because it, 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 it is um, dramatic, but it, it shows the mark. So our calf right now, we're going through trying to figure out what her name is going to be. My daughter wants to name her Jewel. 
Uh, We kicked around a biblical name, Malchus, which is the name of the high priest whose ear Peter cut off. So, I mean, there's some biblical precedent for that. Nobody liked that one, so I'm voting for Nubbins. And if you want to just, if you're at home on our Facebook page, just say vote for Nubbins. Go ahead and do that right now and just help me in that endeavor. But when we go out and we see the calf, like it's still alive, but it, it bears the mark. Like it came, it came through death, but it still has it still has that mark. It's alive, it's vibrant, she's super healthy, she's running, jumping, kicking, all the little things that you would want to pull over and watch a calf do in a field. But there's that mark. And, and each of you, each of us, like we have needy areas in our lives. We've got places where we bear the marks and the scars of the difficulties and the challenges that we face. And the, one of the, the biggest challenges in those times when your situation is difficult, one of the biggest challenges is, is how you exercise your faith when that season is prolonged. When you have a belief that Jesus can speak new life into that relationship, into that hardship, into that addiction, into that challenge, that he can speak new life into that sense of hopelessness or that sense of directionlessness, that he can speak new life into your pursuit of trying to find your identity and your purpose and really see yourself as valuable to the Lord. You, you can know that, but when the season is drawn out, it's easy for us to begin to be overcome by despair because our present experience doesn't match our faith's expectation. And so we can, we can waver in that place. And I want to speak to that this morning because there are some reminders for us about who Jesus is and what he does, that if you're in one of those present seasons can be something that anchors or roots or is a foundation for your faith so that you don't waver in that and that you endure it to the new life that has been promised you in Christ. And if you're not in a situation where that's really kind of your pressing need this morning, it's still a good reminder and some things to hold on to because when we do face those things, we're apt to begin to embrace our brokenness or to accept the ashes of what life looks like as if it won't ever change. And as a pastor, I've, I've run into this idea so many times in my years of ministry where somebody will say, Pastor, that's just the way that I am. Or, Pastor, it's just always going to be that way. And can I tell you that that is not a statement that Jesus would speak over your person or your situation. He would speak hope, and he would speak new life to you today. If you've got your Bible, I invite you to go ahead and get that out. If you've got your smartphone or your tablet, I would invite you to open up your Bible app. And if you've got your Bible, go ahead and raise it up. Lord, we ask that you would give us soft hearts today to hear from your word. Lord, you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, as Jesus would describe it. Lord, that in the places where there is uh, doubt, or the places where we are in despair, or the places where there is hopelessness and we would dare not hope, Lord, that all of that would change at the presence of Jesus, that all of that would change at the voice of Jesus. Give us courageous hearts to take your word at what it says, to be led by your spirit this week and to walk in the fullness of all of its promises. In Jesus' name, amen.
your Bibles out, you can go ahead and go to Luke chapter 7. We're going to spend all of our time in just a few verses there, starting in verse 11, and we'll go through the first part of verse 16. And so I'd like to have you get to that passage if you've got your actual Bible with pages. And then once you get there, I want you to put your finger in it and just close it. I don't want you to start reading. I don't want you to go anywhere with it yet. If you've got your Bible app, go ahead and open that up, get it there, and then just kind of close your screen. Maybe not all the way out, but turn it over. And and I want to do something this morning uh, a little bit different. I'm going to read the passage to you, and I want you listen to just listen. That's it. I just want you to listen. Maybe you are going to be somebody who wants to kind of close their eyes so that they can close out distractions. That would be appropriate. But, but don't doodle. Don't note take. Don't try to get somewhere. I just, I just want you to listen. And here's what I'd like you to do. I would like to encourage you to imagine yourself in the text. As the story unfolds, to identify if you were there as an eyewitness of this taking place, where, where would you imagine yourself? Where would you be? That might be from the outside looking in. You might imagine yourself as somebody who's right in the middle of the action. But I would encourage you to just think in those terms. I'm going to read the passage and then we'll begin to unpack it together. And it begins this way. It says, Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. And as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her, and when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. And they were all filled with awe and praise God. And so that's the reading of that narrative. I just want you to hold on to kind of where you were in the story. Put that in your back pocket. We're going to revisit it at the end of the message this morning. But in this situation that's being described, there are some great encouragements and reminders to me about our own situations and what Jesus does when he comes and he interrupts them. And each one of you have situations in your life that you are facing. You've got challenges. You've got inside and outside stuff. And if you were going to tackle it all at once, it would, see, it would, it would be probably overwhelming. So take baby steps with the Lord and allow him to lead and guide and direct you into the fullness of his plans and purposes for you. Trust him to do that, and he will. But your situations, they're they're all going to be unique. And this situation is certainly not one that you've shared. It would be unique to this woman's experience as well. But there are some helpful encouragements for us that come out of this. And there's three things that I want to highlight about your situation, about Jesus' interaction or relation to it, that I would encourage you, if you're a note taker, you can write those down. And we're going to kind of go through these verses step by step to unpack these. And so we're going to start in verse 11. It says, soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. Nain was a, a small town. It was like a village or like a little burg. Uh, it wouldn't be like a city. It wouldn't be a uh, town is a little bit belying its size. We would think it may be a little bit 
bigger than it was. It was more rightly understood as a village. It would have been a tight-knit uh, community. It would have been a rural community out on the outskirts. It would have been hours or days of travel from anywhere of great populace. And so you've got this tight-knit rural community. And there's been a death that has taken place in it that's being described here. Jesus is on his way, not to that town, but past it. He was just passing through. But as he goes on his way and as he approaches this town, he's got his disciples and a larger group in tow with him. And now he comes on this scene. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. And what I want to do is I want to stop right there and I just want to give pause for this because this situation should have been in everybody's mind already resolved. Okay, this wasn't somebody who was sick and dying. There was no invitation for Jesus to come and do anything. In fact, the man had already been dead for at least a full day, more likely longer than that. His body had already been washed and clothed and prepared for burial. And in fact, what is being described on the scene is not a, a, a funeral in essence, but it's a burial procession. Like the proceedings are all done. It's done and dusted and over. He's dead. The grieving has already well started and they're on their way to put him in the tomb. Some of the translations will describe it as being a coffin that is being carried, but they didn't put them in boxes or coffins. He was laid out on a wooden plank. And the professional mourners in the community would have been carrying him, and they were progressing out. But it was a done deal. The situation was over. There was no reason to hope for anything other than, I'm going to go bury my only son. But then Jesus shows up. Everything changes because Jesus is present, and nobody actually even knows that anything has changed. It's already been done and resolved for them. And for, for you and I, oftentimes the, the things that we're going through, like the, the shadow that is cast over our lives because of an event or an issue or a challenge, a place of bondage. Like very often we can come to this place where there's such a finality in the way that we see the details of our situation that it could not ever change. It could not ever be different. And her story would have no twist, had no change, except for Jesus becomes part of it. Your situation is never without hope when you recognize Jesus is present with you. Listen to me, your situation is never without hope when you recognize that Jesus is present with you. Even when it has seemingly been resolved, it's done, dusted, it's over, there's, there's no further place that this could go. There's no other uh, realistic or logical outcome for what has been set in motion. All of that changes when Jesus shows up. Everybody here had already resigned themselves to that being part of their story. She's going to be a widow who has buried her son, and as a community, we're going to mourn that as best we know how, but affirm that that took place. Except Jesus showed up. Jesus became present and part of the story. And what's really interesting about this 
Okay, maybe you've read some of your, the, the stories of Jesus. You've looked at some of his ministry. Like nobody asked him to do anything. There's no prayer. There's no invitation. There's not a single person in the whole story that is characterized as being a person of faith. He wasn't responding to a person's faith, to a person's prayer, to a person's invitation. They weren't doing anything overtly religious or righteous to get his attention. They were mourning the very real tragic details of their life in ashes, and it was never going to be different than it was, except Jesus became part of that story. And for you and I, no matter what we're facing, what the timing of the duration of it looks like, the odds stacked against us, or how we have already come to terms with, that's just the way it's always going to be. All of that can change when we have Jesus present. And all of it does. The second thing that I want you to know about your situation is that Jesus is aware of all of the details of it. That should be a a very affirming and encouraging thing, and that should scare you a little bit, right? Most of us are like, ah, he knows. He does, and he still loves you, so you're good. But the details of the situation are not beyond his understanding. They're, They're not escaped here. In fact, when you go back to that verse 12, there's some details in the story that were given that are really important, that they were already coming out of the town that the person was being carried out, that they were already dead. But then look at this, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. See, there's some details in this story that make it particularly tragic. This wasn't just the death of an individual. And in fact, we're going to see in just a moment that it wasn't the death that Jesus was motivated with compassion towards. It, It wasn't the event of the death that drew his attention. It was the details around the death and what it meant for those who were still alive. Because in the story, you have a man who is dead, and his death was immediate. It was then. It was resolved, and he was going to the grave. But you had a woman whose death was just as certain. Because to be in that community, to be in that context, and to be a woman Uh, without a husband and without a son was to put you into the most vulnerable strata of society. Because in order to own property, in order to have economic standing, in order to have a seat or a voice or a place within the community, there had to be a head of the household, though culturally the way that it was set up. And she had lost that in her husband. She had already grieved his loss but she would still have place, representation, and standing in the community because she had a son. It would fall to the responsibility of the oldest son. Even in our culture, oftentimes when parents are deceased, it's the oldest sibling that kind of steps in in order to settle the estate or things like that. We, we still even have some traditional things like that. But in this community, it was all uh, weighted upon that truth. And she had not only lost her husband, now she had lost her son, and she didn't have a second one to rely on. It was her only son, now there's none. And it put her in a place where she was going to be in the most vulnerable strata of society. And it was almost assured 
that if you fell into that category, that you were going to live a shortened life of destitution. Incredible poverty, and it was only a matter of time. That in some way, you were taken advantage of to the point of death. See, those details are noted because those are details that got Jesus' attention. See, it's an interesting thing because we read the story and we think that somehow it was the death that Jesus was addressing, right? This guy's dead, now he's alive. We see him do that on a number of occasions. But it wasn't the death that grabbed his attention. It was the details of the living. It was the woman. The young man's death was immediate and final, but it was a death sentence for his mom. A slow and arduous, prolonged destitution of vulnerability that could only be resolved in one way. And Jesus was moved by compassion for her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. Number of occasions in Scripture, you'll find Jesus heal somebody who was blind. The lame will walk. The deaf will hear. The leper will be cleansed. And in many of those instances, there is a specific phrase that's repeated over and over and over and over in Scripture. It'll say, and Jesus, moved with compassion, acted. And we see that demonstrated here. Listen to me. Your situation, I don't care how resolved you are to just receive the brokenness that's there. There is hope when you recognize that Jesus is present with you and he is so attentive to the details that the details of your brokenness moves him to compassion. He is moved with compassion for you. And he will move in response to that compassion. He is moved by compassion, and he speaks to her, and he says, don't cry. Which actually seems like an absurd thing to say. She's a widow. She's already lost her husband. Her only son is dead, and she's on her way to put him in the ground. And Jesus says, don't cry. Any of you who have lost somebody very close has had a friend who is said an errant, well-meaning word that has constituted just basically about that, that has felt calloused and even offensive. Times where you've been told that your loved one is in a better place or time heals all wounds or something else that comes off of a cat poster that they saw in middle school somehow is supposed to encourage you and you feel that deep and weighty depth of loss and brokenness and grief. And it would almost seem like Jesus is saying something like that, something that's just kind of this little cheap platitude, but he's not. He is literally the only one who can speak into that grief and then do something about what caused it. And so he is moved by compassion, and he says, don't cry. And then we continue the narrative, and it says this, and then he went up and he touched the buyer. That's that plank that the man was being carried on. And the bearers stood still. Everything stopped when Jesus did this. 
Okay, none of the details of the situation changed. No, nothing has overtly changed other than here's this random guy who tells the lady not to cry, and then he goes up and he touches, but at that touch, everybody took notice. Everything stopped. And it wasn't because he shouldn't have done that in the sense that he uh, wasn't familiar enough or it wasn't his place. Like we could recognize that if, if somebody who wasn't close to the family touched a casket at a funeral or the urn at a memorial, like we, we could maybe understand a little bit of that, but that's not what's happening here. It's not because it was kind of this uh, informality or he, he was kind of out of bounds in that regard. He shouldn't have touched it because it made him unclean. To touch that would make you ceremonially unclean, and everybody else would have to get away from you because you had now the unclean cooties, and you were going to have to go and show yourself to the priest and go through a whole process of being made clean again so that you could reintegrate into community on an equal footing and standard with everybody else. Jesus touched that, and everybody stopped like, hey, you shouldn't have done that, but it got everybody's attention. And I want to touch on that for just a moment because the details... And the specifics of your situation may be things that are kind of so dire or dark or off that others would recoil from you. That when you start to share about your hurt or your brokenness or the wound that happened in your life, that when you start to try to be vulnerable with people, you can feel them shrink away from you where it's like, whoa, whoa, you're sharing too much. I'm not prepared to kind of handle that. I can't walk with you through that. Jesus never recoils at the details of your story. In fact, he already knows those and he invites you into a dialogue of healing where he can say yes and let me do something. Let me speak life into that death. It's such a beautiful thing to see Jesus, to imagine him touching that procession. It's equally as startling when you read about him healing lepers and actually touching them to do so, bridging a gap and a separation that nobody else would dare do. Jesus always goes there. He's not afraid of the details of your story. The situation has hope because Jesus was present. He knew all the details of what was going on, and he was moved by compassion for her. And he didn't recoil away from the death and the perception and all the things that could come with that. And then Jesus speaks. See, the words of Jesus in this passage are really interesting to me because they're, they're very short and authoritative. He looks at the woman and says, don't cry. And he looks at the young man and says, I say to you, get up. All Jesus has to do is speak. However dark your moment is, however difficult your situation is, however kind of hazy the direction of your life is, the struggle inside for identity and value and finding your worth before the Lord, walking out of addiction or bondage or brokenness, like all of the complexity of that, which is very, very real. 
very, very difficult and very, very immediately pressing to your circumstance. All, All of those things are true. But Jesus just has to speak. And chains break. And hearts are soft. And the truth sets free. And when Jesus resurrects her son, it's such an interesting thing, again, because we get caught on like this, whoa, a miracle. And like if you saw that in real life, you would be freaking out. It would be all over your Facebook page, right? You'd be trying to TikTok a video of that. You'd be doing all of the things to just like, it's, oh my gosh. One of the most interesting things about this story is not that the man was raised from the dead, The whole story revolves around the woman. The whole story revolves around the woman. The details of her need, Jesus recognizing that, being moved with compassion for her, and even after he raises the man from the dead, it says that he gave him back to his mother. I think that he probably said, young man, you have chores to do at home, right? That's how I imagine that. I could use a little... Holy Spirit, help with my kids at home in regards to that at times. It all revolves around her. And see, the the man's story, he's immediately resurrected. Just as immediate as his burial was. But when Jesus resurrects her son, he also resurrects and restores her family. He resurrects and restores her provision. He resurrects and restores her station and standing in the community. He resurrects and restores her lineage and heritage and future. Like so much more is resurrected in this moment than just a man who was dead who is now alive. The whole direction and future of her life was instantaneously transformed. And that's what Jesus does. And can I tell you, as much as you may be hoping for him to speak new life into the situation that you're in, more importantly, he would speak new life into you that would transform your future, that would set in motion you moving into becoming the man of God and the woman God that you were always designed in Christ to be. And that will include provision and restoration. That'll include relationships being restored. That'll include understanding your identity and stepping into the fullness of his plans. And per- All of those things are included in that. But he would speak new life into you today. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. And church family, I want you to stay seated for just a moment. We'll stand to our feet in a little bit and have an opportunity to respond. But I want you to go ahead and close your Bibles, close your notes, close out your apps. And I want you to go back to where we started. I want you to go back to where you saw yourself in the story. And as we do that, I will ask you to close your eyes for just this moment. And I want to ask you this question. Where did you imagine yourself in the story? As the story was unfolding, where, where were you? Were you kind of like the, the narrator kind of far off, like maybe looking down, watching this take place as if you were watching a show or a movie or a play? 
Maybe you were kind of in the story, but from a distance, you would have been maybe part of the crowd or the onlookers. Maybe you were kind of following along with Jesus, and there's like this unfolding of the story. You're like, oh man, what's going to happen here? Maybe you imagined yourself as one of Jesus' disciples, that you were close and like rolling with him, and, and this was going to be the next exciting thing that you got to be a part of because of your relationship to him, your proximity to him. You know, maybe you were the mom. Maybe hearing the story of somebody else's loss and somebody's grief, like that just stirred up the stuff in you. There's been a lot of loss and a lot of grief, not just in physical life, but including that for many of us recently. Maybe you felt that deep sense of loss and separation. Maybe you saw yourself in the crowd of mourners, right? Trying to encourage and support as, as best you can, but feeling helpless. You can't change the situation. You can't really add to it. The best you can do is carry the body of your friend and put it in the ground and move on with your life. Maybe you imagined yourself as that dead man. the things inside of you feel that dead or the situation that you're in feels just as lifeless. It really doesn't matter where you put yourself in the story because Jesus doesn't actually respond to anything that anybody does. He just chooses to demonstrate his ability and his willingness to bring life out of death for everybody there to see. There's no invitation, there's no pleading, there's no great faith, it's just Jesus. But because he's there and because he's part of the story, the story changes and is never the same. Church family, if you would stand. Where do you need new life today? You know, maybe yours is in your relationships. In many ways, that's where this woman would have found herself. Maybe you've got a broken relationship and that person, they're not dead, they're still living, but they're dead to you. Would Jesus be able to do something in you and in them? Would he be able to change that? Maybe there's no life in your relationship with God. Maybe the hardness of your heart and the wayward of your walk has carried you far from your Father. And there's this sense that you're so far that you can't even make your way back. Like, how, how would you even begin? I love the pictures in Scripture that show the Good Shepherd chasing after the sheep, running them down. I used to always uh, think that the, as far away from God that I walked, that I had to somehow turn around and, and make my way all the way back. I always labored under this pretense and of this thought that the, the degree to my waywardness was the degree that I had to make up with my own effort. And what I've found in my life is that, that as far away from the Lord as I thought that I was, that He was always with me. He was always present. I was looking the wrong direction, and I had walked purposely away from Him. But unbeknownst to me, your Father, your Heavenly Father, He just walks behind you until you turn around and, you, and you're like, oh man, I'm going to make my way home. And no, nope, He's there. He was there the whole time. I love that picture. 
Maybe you need new life in the direction of your life. You've got decisions to make and you don't know what to do. You've got a new season out in front of you or a season's closing and now you don't feel like you have purpose. You're wrestling with your value or your identity. Maybe you have very real pressing needs of provision and resource. Jesus can meet all of those and more. Lord, we present our needs to you today. We present our situations. And Lord, sometimes we are so immersed in the experience and so immersed in the details that we forget that you're present, that we forget that you already know all of those things, that we forget that you're not recoiling and shying away from us and that you at just your word can speak new life into this. And so Lord, remind us of that today. Let us be reminded by this simple story that when you arrive, Everything can change. And Lord, if we would find ourselves in a place of waiting, may we wait with faith. May we wait with hope. May we wait with expectation. Because your word says that you never fail. That those whose hope is in you will not be disappointed. And so Lord, breathe new life into us today. And may we begin to respond to that in the way that we live our lives this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Action steps this week. If you've got a smartphone or tablet, you can snap a picture of these or you can catch these online or Facebook later on this week. Number one, be reminded that Jesus is present. So in that, receive his comfort. Number two, recognize that Jesus is attentive. So you can go ahead and give him all the details of what you're walking through. And number three, Jesus is faithful. He will not leave you nor forsake you. You can be confident of that.